All right, well, welcome to uh, The Kicker, the Columbus Business First podcast series. Today, we are uh, pleased to welcome Congressman Pat Tiberi, a senior member of the House Ways and Means Committee, uh, previous chairman of the Subcommittee on Trade, and an advocate of comprehensive tax reform, and vice chairman of the Joint Economic Committee, which brings us here today, uh, because that committee is working to examine economic policy and to help grow the economy. And you have uh, some proposals that you want to talk about, uh, particularly one uh, that will create new incentives for investment in uh, areas around the country that need it most and are not getting it today. Can you give us an overview of what you Yeah, so, so let me kind of back up before I go forward. So at the end of last year, I became the top Republican on the Joint Economic Committee, which is a, a committee that's made up from the House and the Senate. Uh, Democrats and Republicans, and depending on who is in charge or the chairman or vice chairman, who's in charge of the House and Senate. Mm -hmm. And then the chairmanship rolls back and forth between the Senate and the House. So right now the chairman is, is a senator. Since the Republicans are in charge, Dan Coats is the, uh, is the senator uh, who's the top Republican on the Joint Economic Committee. So he's the chairman. We're, we're uh, control of the House, so I get to be the vice chairman okay. uh, appointed by the speaker. And at the beginning of the year, the speaker said, you know, we and, and by the way, the last um, uh, the last Ohioan on the Joint Economic Committee was Chalmers Wiley. Uh, you might remember that, who was a congressman from Columbus. Get from his name on the uh, VA. The VA building. clinic. Yeah, yeah, he, right, he, yeah. he had the seat kind of like uh, similar to what Steve Stiver's seat is today. Okay. Uh, so at the beginning of the year, the speaker said, "Hey, we um, we should." In the big topic areas, taxes, healthcare, poverty, mm -hmm. energy, um, provide an agenda, a better way forward for our whoever our Republican nominee is uh, on on these topic areas, and and poverty was one of them, with the with the thought that we have spent trillions of dollars the last fifty years in trying to fight poverty, and we still have object poverty in, in both, by the way, rural and urban areas. And so I've been working on this for a couple years on how can we fight poverty a different way, a, a different way than we've been fighting it. And by the way, there are some successes that don't get a lot of credit in fighting poverty. And let me just share a couple with you through the tax code. One's called the New Market Tax Credit. And you guys have reported on this before. Uh, so the New Markets Tax Credit uh, which I'm trying to make permanent, is, uh, is, a, is a tax credit that incentivizes uh, a private-public partnership. So it's through the tax code, but it's designed to identify, and it does, uh, the most distressed zip codes in the country. And, and by the way, the most distressed zip codes in the country aren't just all urban, they're also rural. And in Ohio, the top three distressed zip codes are in Appalachia, they're rural, and that is not uncommon around the country, even though urban gets the most of the focus. Mm -hmm. And the most distressed urban zip code in Ohio is in Cleveland. And so the New Market Tax Credit, which, which I've told the mayor and the county commissioners and the Columbus Partnership, Columbus is not as good as Cleveland or Cincinnati in getting New Market Tax Credits for redevelopment in, in distressed zip codes. Cleveland is one of the best in the country at this, by the way. And they showed off some of their projects, redevelopment projects, that, 
use the new market tax credits uh, in uh, in Cleveland during the convention. And so what we what we do through this bill that I introduced, which is bipartisan, bicameral, Senator Tim Scott, uh, African American Republican senator from South Carolina, who represented a rural area of South Carolina when he was in the House, is the top sponsor in, in the House. Is we use the new market tax credit criteria for identifying distressed communities, which is zip codes, poor, rural, and urban, in all 50 states. And then we, we create, through our legislation, opportunity zones within these zip codes where you or me or any other investor uh, can invest in that community. Because one of the things that we have found, and by the way, um, uh, Tom Walker from, from Rev1 testified to, 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 this, to this issue just recently before the Joint Economic Committee. One of the things that I've heard growing up in Columbus and, and, and I've seen growing up in Columbus is that the poorest neighborhoods, the poorest zip codes, lack private capital. People don't want to invest for a variety of reasons, including, you know, there's, first of all, there's no guarantee of success. Uh, number two, even if there is success, if, you're, if you have private capital, you're going to go where you have the best shot at making money, right? And, and for a variety of reasons, um, you're not going to put it in, in an area where you don't, where you don't have uh, a, a higher degree of, of success rate. So how do we get capital going into those communities when there is no guarantee of success? Well, one of the things that we, we did is we worked with a, a think tank, Dan Gilbert, the Cavs owners on the board of this think tank. It's bipartisan. And like Tom said, capital is missing from urban, poor, and rural communities. And one of the reasons why more is not done to, to go into these communities is lack of rate of return, right? You're, you're, it's, it's a risk. It's a higher risk to, to invest. So if you can incentivize capital getting off the sidelines, then there might be more, uh, more, more capital that flows into these, these poor areas. So what we do is, is use the tax code in this way. We say that if, uh, if you, Doug, want to invest in uh, one of these distressed opportunity zones identified by the U.S. Census as, as poor, rural, or urban, we are going to defer your capital gain for the first 10 years. Mm -hmm. and, the, and the reason why we, we, we say 10 years is we want to make sure that if you are successful, you keep your money there and don't just cash out quickly. And in order, in, in to, in order to incentivize you even more is if you keep it longer than 10 years, we won't just defer it. We will. We will just. We'll. We'll eliminate it to try to make sure you have a long-term investment in the community. So, you want to invest in a grocery store? There's there's a reason why there's not a lot of grocery stores in poor urban or rural areas, and that's because the likelihood of success is very, very limited. Uh, if you talk to grocery store owners, mm -hmm. and so this incentivizes them to actually put the capital there. Because if there is success, guess what? Your gain is, is, is deferred, or if it's long-term, it's, uh, it's forgiven. So it's, it's gotten really good feedback. Again, it's bipartisan. Um, we also create, we allow for governors to create these opportunity zones, and then you can actually create mutual funds in these opportunity zones uh, to encourage leveraging of, of more private dollars. So it's, it's, it's it's fascinating from this perspective. It's another way 
to fight uh, poverty in, in uh, historically poor communities that doesn't create any new bureaucracy, doesn't, doesn't have Washington telling local folks how to do it or what to do. It gets the private sector involved with a, with a nonprofit sector as well, by the way, mm -hmm. like the new market tax credit. And it's just a different way of trying to get capital into these communities that are starving for capital for investments. And it doesn't have to be a grocery store. It could be anything. It could be a startup. It could be a, it could be a, um, um, an apartment building that's vacant. I mean, think about this. If you're, if you want to start up, if you want, if you have an idea and you want to start up, and if you go to Dublin or Westerville and, and start it up, or in a, in a Columbus neighborhood that's not poor, um, and you're successful, you're going to pay capital gains tax. Talk. So why not go into a redeveloped urban area or poor area, create a new manufacturing facility, and the incentive is, hey, if if I if I'm successful, my capital gain is going to be deferred. I was going to say, talk with us a little bit about sort of how that eliminates poverty. So you you have to attract usually money from outside that neighborhood, correct? I mean, that's is yeah. That how so yeah. So so how it how it helps uh, eliminate poverty is several different ways. Number one, so think about the startup idea. Uh, if you start a startup, and rather than start it in a community that's not poor, you know, there's a risk of starting it in a, in a poor community, but you're going to hire people. Maybe not everybody you hire, but if you hire 10 people, one of the people you might hire is from that community who's going to answer the phone, right? So you're, 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 you're investing in a community that people typically don't invest in. Do, do they attract certain kinds of companies? You know, clearly, you wouldn't go into a, a, a poor community with a tech business. And, and try to hire locally because it, it wouldn't be there. But are there certain kinds of companies or certain kinds of businesses that it tends to attract and, and might be? Well, we've never done this before. If you talk to Dan Gilbert, um, success breeds success. So if, if people are starting to invest, even a grocery store, right? So even if a grocery store, not everybody you're going to hire is from that community, but some people are. But it gives, you know, it, it gives the, the community some pride. Mm -hmm. it, there's, you know, suddenly there's a, a thriving business there, which, again, success breeds success. And that's what he has seen in, uh, in Detroit, where he's tried to single-handedly redevelop mm -hmm. a city that's had huge problems. And there may have some application in Columbus, too. When we, when we talked with Mayor Ginther at the beginning of the year, he identified a couple of very bad neighborhoods in Columbus that, that needed to have help. Uh, with Linden and Hilltop. And, and the question was where he would get the investment from because risk was high, as you say, in these kinds of neighborhoods. And he didn't, it, unlike sort of uh, areas like Wineland Park, where you've got Ohio State on the border, they're ready to put in money. And also in the Near East Side, you've got companies that are close by that sort of see those neighboring areas as, as a place where they can benefit. There was nothing that sort of sits in Hilltop, nothing that really sits in Linden where um, they would be able to drive in capital, which is Big the time. biggest issue. Absolutely. No, no. To your point, Dom. So I represented Lyndon in the in the Near East Side for 12 years in mm -hmm. in the U.S. House of Representatives. I grew up here in Columbus, and 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 Mayor Ginther knows this. The the federal government and the city and the county have spent millions of dollars planting trees, repairing sidewalks, putting up beautiful lighting, uh, partly through the community block grant to try to bring pride to the community. All the right things that you think would be 
um, there to try to bring in private capital, but they could never bring in the private capital, no matter how nice the trees, no matter how nice the sidewalks, no matter how beautiful the lighting, private capital was still missing. The grocery store was still missing. And so this is, a, again, a different way of, of trying to, to skin that cat. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you're not anticipating this to be a be-all to end-all. I mean, there are, are all kinds of other programs. I mean, I just wonder how you came up with this particular, you know, fix to add to the mosaic. So we've been talking about it for a while, and so this this think, think tank, which was started by Sean Parker of Napster, okay. uh, the EIG group, um, you know, he and I had a conversation uh, a few years ago about how do we get, because um, he has an interest in this area, how do we get ahead in, in fighting poverty. I mean, how, how do we turn the corner? We spent all this money. How do we, you know, how do we get the private sector more involved? And they studied it. I mean, we kind of talked about it. And they looked to what Gilbert did mm -hmm. in, in Detroit. He's a board member of the group. And so we've been tweaking it for a while. I've been talking to Tim Scott. Uh, we continue to tweak it. You know, there's no private ownership here. But the, the, the thought process at the 30,000 foot level is how do we get private capital involved? How do we do this without telling you, the taxpayer, we want you to write more, you know, we want you to write another check, mm. more, more bureaucracy involved, more Washington down. Uh, you know, what, what we do in Washington obviously is part of the solution, but it, it can't be a bureaucracy-led decision. It can't be a new jobs training program coming out of Washington. The thought is there's a lot of private capital on the sidelines. How do we get that working in fighting this this quite frankly, uh, generational poverty that we see in both rural and urban areas. And that's what we came up with. Okay. The Investing in Opportunity Act. Mm -hmm. More detail on that. Is it does does new market tax credits fall within that or is No, it's separate. separate. So we use we borrow we borrow the new market tax credit uh, basis for identifying poor okay. urban and rural zip codes, which is actually done through the Senate, through the, through the census. But um, the new markets model is a good one um, in identifying those poorest areas. Where there's been some, some reporting nationally on the new market, some little controversy is, and think about it in Columbus, uh, a Chicago neighborhood that is really, really poor, but it's starting to redevelop. And suddenly the, the, the zip code, part of the zip code is still really poor, but part of the zip code has some private investment going on. And so suddenly in the Tribune, there's an article, tax credit funds a, a, uh, a project next to the Hilton Hotel. But you can imagine right here in Columbus as the short north yeah, has continued absolutely. to get Italian it's really hot in Italian uh, Village, but then there's still pockets of poverty yeah, within that still zip code. Tax, they're still giving incentives to projects in the short north. Yeah, there, right. Know, for sure, yeah. Yeah, and so that's a little bit, little bit of the controversy because sometimes within a community, the recovery um, in a neighborhood is not even, and, and, and part of that zip code could still have you know, some ex object poverty while another part of that zip code is seeing some revival. Uh, but it's the best way to do it. By zip code is the best way to do it. And it, um, it's work with the new market tax credit. There's bipartisan support for it, public-private partnership, and it's, uh, it, it's, it's been successful. Now you said you would rest actually restrict the investing in opportunity or the opportunity zones to kind of the uh, uh, most needy even amongst those. So what, what are we talking about in Columbus? What, what would that translate to? Is it Linden Hilltop or is it more... 
Yeah, pro- you know, I don't know. I, I I don't know off the top of my head what are the the most uh, distressed communities defined by the the uh, the U.S. Census in in Columbus. Okay. Certainly, Linden and Hilltop are among them. Yeah. I don't know if they're the top two or okay. not. Okay. Uh, you know, the South Side has some as well. Uh, but yeah, it would it so we would cap the number of zip codes per state because what we don't okay. want to do is say every single zip code that's distressed because we want to try to limit the the impact. So capital goes to the to the most needed distressed. Concentrate the impact, maybe. Concentrate the impact. Thank you, Doug. Yeah. To the most distressed zip codes, to the most distressed communities. Like I said, top five zip codes um, in Ohio that are distressed. Three in, in Appalachia, one zip code in in Cleveland, and one zip code in, in Toledo are the top five. None of the top ten, by the way, are in Columbus. Okay. Columbus, or excuse me, Cleveland, Toledo, Cincinnati have uh, urban zip codes in the top ten. The rest are rural mm-hmm. in the top ten. Do, do they do they sit on a clock at all? Do you look for investment over a certain period of time, and if it does not come, Mm-mm. you move along and just try to concentrate and focus no, on those? No, no, try to focus on those, and obviously local communities can be involved in that um, to try to spur that local development, got it. local startups, local investment. Okay. Okay. And, and did any of the, the studies or models attempt to say how much money that you would expect? To no, we've got some modeling going on now, but okay. we, we don't have that number. And I, also, I think it's also important to note that the new market tax credit uh, is not permanent yeah, tax. It's, it's temporary. And so I'm trying to also make, the, in a bipartisan way, try to make that permanent and we have a um, we have a local entity the finance fund uh, which uh, is a national leader right. in new market tax credits yeah. that supports making it permanent right right uh, okay and then uh, you had a couple of other uh, uh, kind of fixes to, to some tax uh, policy but uh, you know are, are you are you anticipating that uh, um, there's broad support? They're, bo- they're bipartisan. You know, both of them are bipartisan. They're kind of more in the weeds. We we want to treat uh, limited liability companies, partnerships, the same way as C corporations mm-hmm. are treated in the tax code. When uh, you know when they are involved in a local development issue with with, for, for instance, City of Columbus or Franklin County mm-hmm. or another public entity. Uh, right now, the, they're what not treated. So the benefit of that is if you are a limited liability company, you don't get the tax benefit if a, if a community is, is donating a, a right-of-way uh, or land to your development uh, versus if you are a corporation. You get that, okay. you get that benefit. Um, so we're just trying to equal treatment in the tax code. The other issue is research and development. Mm-hmm. As you guys probably know, uh, when you look at the world, research and development was once headquartered in the United States. Yeah, These are yeah. good jobs, by the way, really good jobs. We've been losing that. We've been getting picked off by, by the Canadians, by the Europeans, by the Asians. And part of how we've been picked off is the tax code. So we have the highest corporate rate in the industrialized world. Everybody else has lowered their rate. And they also have incentivized, more than we've incentivized, research and development to be in their country. And so what, what we did last year is we expanded and made permanent a piece of the research and development tax right. credit. Uh, so my bill that you're speaking of actually 
uh, goes the rest of the way to kind of equalize what other countries are doing in this space so we don't lose any more research and development jobs and maybe actually could attract some research and development jobs, which again are really good paying jobs. Sure. Now you said at the beginning of, of our conversation that part of what you were doing with the uh, uh, think tank was to have some ideas to present to your eventual nominee. So yeah, yeah. So you have your not nominee. just yeah. So yeah. not just on the tax side, the healthcare side, sure. which I became chairman of health in December. Um, on the poverty side, on the energy side, and what Paul Ryan, the speaker, what his thought process was at the beginning of the year was, hey, you know what? Um, we're going to be in the majority. We don't know who our presidential nominee is. They all have a bunch of different ideas. But why don't we lead? Why don't we provide some leadership? And maybe our presidential nominee will embrace it. That was January. Do you think your presidential nominee uh, will it doesn't embrace seem, it? It doesn't seem like he's really focusing on us at all <laughs> yeah. or what we've done or what we want to do. But you never know. Uh, you know, s s hope springs eternal. Sure. I mean, do you plan to meet him when he's in Columbus on one of his campaign trips? Uh, I wasn't able to on Monday. You know, my hope is is that he, what, what Paul Ryan's talked about, is that he embraces what we're trying to do, mm. and he's yet to embrace uh, Speaker Ryan. But what my hope is that he f starts focusing on issues. Mm -hmm. So we call it the better way, a better way forward on, on the tax side, on the health side, on the um, uh, energy and poverty side. Mm -hmm. We, we, we as, a, as a team, not me, but we as a team have reached out to him. We've provided all this information to him. He's yet to talk about it, mm -hmm. unfortunately. We continue to urge him to talk about it. And if, and if I did meet him, that's what I would tell him. Okay. So of these plans, you talk about what you're trying to do. Are there are there some that are just not in play yet that you still need some sort of approvals through the through the Congress? Well, what do you mean in terms of uh, saying yes to oh, that? So, so so these are so these are all proposals. Okay. So I introduced the bill. Right. Uh, on the tax side, we haven't introduced a bill yet. We have. So so on the tax side, let me tell you what kind of drove us. And and you guys know this from a business perspective. We we are seeing. Uh, I think the headline actually, um, I think it was the Wall Street Journal, maybe in the dispatch, the slowest recovery since 1949. And we have seen economic growth over the last 10 years averaging 2%. Uh, and this last quarter was another example of, of anemic growth. So part of that from what we hear from the experts is a tax code uh, that's complicated. Uh, not competitive, the regulatory environment. And so when we, when we look at our tax code, and we did some outside modeling from, from think tanks and the tax foundation, is how do you get a more competitive tax code? And so the proposal that we put together, which reduces the income tax rate and, and goes to a more consumption tax with this border adjustability tax, we, and again, it's a proposal, we, um, we get growth that averages between 5 and 10% which we think is really important, uh, is, is getting economic growth. And so we're, we're right now in the process of getting feedback from, from employers, okay. both small and large, different types of employers, retail, manufacturing. Retailer has retailers seem to have concerns about it. I've, I've uh, spoken to some local retailers who are doing an analysis of the, the proposal right now. They haven't given me feedback yet other than their initial look. They're a little concerned about the consumption basis of the tax. Mm -hmm. uh, but manufacturers seem to love it. 
How can we attract more manufacturing? How can we attract more job uh, creation? How can we attract, um, when you look around the world right now, capital seems to be flowing to countries that have reduced their corporate rate, aren't double taxing their multinationals. So part of what we do is we try to be more competitive with our, our, our nation competitors like Canada, like Europe. And we are, you, and I know you've heard this, we have a trillion dollars trapped overseas. That's because of the type of system we have. We have a worldwide system. And the reason why it's trapped is because if a company brings it back, it gets taxed again after it's already been taxed in the country that it's in. Canada doesn't do that. That's why Burger, in part, Burger King went to Canada to, to be headquartered in Ontario and not Miami. Borders, right? Yeah. So uh, Eaton is in Ireland now, a long, you know, long time Ohio company. We see it happening uh, constantly. So part of it's that. Part of it's it trying to reduce the income tax rate. Part of it's simplification. Go from seven rates to three rates. Uh, in fact, this is an unbelievable statistic. So the organization that represents CPAs in America has finally put up the white flag saying we, we are for simplifying the tax code. Our members make a lot of money because of the complexity, but it's so complex now we're losing, we're losing practitioners. Nine out of ten Americans now either pay or prepare or go get a computer program to do their taxes, the most ever in the history of our country. And we've seen the tax code triple in the number of pages since Reagan and Tip O'Neill reformed it in 1986. So we tweak it, but we add pages to it. Our proposal simplifies it, re reduces the, the number of pages to 1,000. But it's a proposal, we want feedback on it. But economic growth really drove, simplification and economic growth drove the proposal. So on some of these, there's legislation. On others, there's proposals trying to get stakeholders to give us feedback. Okay, so there, there's no timeline in the sense of where you see important to hit at a certain year. No, no. We, we hope that whoever the president will be in January of, of 2017, these, will, these big ideas will be the basis of reform, by the way, in a bipartisan way. Because nobody, nobody is predicting that whoever wins is, is going to have what Obama had in 2009. And that is a president with the same political party in charge of the House and 60 votes in the Senate, which avoids a filibuster. And to avoid a filibuster, you need the minority party engaged in the process. So it's going to have to be bipartisan in the end. Got it. And we haven't talked about health care, but health care is another one. You guys, I think, know this. The prediction is there's going to be double-digit premium increases this fall yes. across the board. Yes. Aetna just announced that they're not going to expand on, on the exchanges. Mm -hmm. uh, United Health, uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield have already said that they're considering um, reducing their exposure on the exchanges because they're all losing money on, on the exchanges. Uh, we've seen the co-ops, a majority of co health co-ops that were created in Obamacare go bankrupt, including one here in Ohio, in health, yeah. uh, which leaves thousands of people with no insurance and, and doctors and hospitals not getting paid for services they already provide, which is a disaster. These things are going to continue unless we fix it.